This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. I'm not going to lie to you. Why are you laughing at me? I was low-key like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through this intro. Like, because of the way our last episode ended... I was like, I'm so paranoid that I'm that saying fuck it up. the wrong thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just like, what? What? So depending on how much of the mini episode Keegan decides to keep in at the end. I'm leaving, <laughs> I'm leaving most of it. <laughs> Keegan's brain left us for a moment. <laughs> I she's just, left the building, everybody. <laughs> she's she's so tired, my brain. She's my, still real cute, though. Thanks so much. Um, <laughs> my my brain, seriously, is just like, I no. It's the no, Thursday night problem. No. I swear like, we recorded on like a Saturday at like noon. Yeah, dur- during the day. You yeah. would be getting whole other hosts. You yeah. might not like the show as much. I don't know. Maybe we're angrier at night. Well, that's probably good. Yeah, that's it's what I'm saying. Like maybe the show wouldn't be as good if we were like content and awake. Yeah, and not you're right. tired. You're right. The, Let us know what point, you think. At this point, being tired is part of the. Uh, it's part of the shtick. I it's think. part of our appeal, is it not? If we huh. didn't start the show talking about how tired we were, would we be Keegan and Madigan? Nine one one. They'd be like, something is wrong for sure over there. <laughs> there, that's not right. Ugh. Well, well, I um. <laughs> I wanted to do this episode uh, because I think that we had mentioned, or I know actually for a fact, I don't know why I do that, where I'm like, I think, uh, I know (laughs) that whenever we recorded the Roe v. Wade episode, we talked about Hawaii because Hawaii was pretty unique in that it had, you know, abortion rights kind of written in for a long time and actually on and off thought for abortion rights in ways that other states did not do. And that I mentioned that that was partially because of their ancestry and their history and that we should talk about the annexation of Hawaii. Yes. At some point. I'm so glad we did too, because I think I missed this day in school. Uh, It definitely wasn't covered. And I, I decided that it, well, really, I made a promise that I felt like I needed to keep because somebody and please, if it was you and you're listening, reach back out. Uh, but somebody reached out to me and said, hey, I listened to your episode. You mentioned talking about this. Are you serious about talking mm-hmm. about it? Uh, because We're serious. Oh, we're real serious. Um, <laughs> but are you serious about talking about it? Because it's something that I do think really needs to be covered. And I yeah. said, yes, of course, we'll talk about it. So I wanted to make sure that we fulfilled that promise to yes. that person. So here we are, fulfilling so we promises. Are. We're like make a wish. Yeah. Except for you're not sick and dying. Oh. <laughs> Ugh, that just got real dark. Anyways, let's talk about the annexation of Hawaii. Like I said, 
had very little idea about any of the specifics of this. I feel like most of the knowledge I have about Hawaii in general is from like, and this is horrible, but like the media and Lilo and Stitch. Well, more than that. I know more than Lilo and Stitch, thankfully. I, By the way, I had a really good Stitch impression years ago. I haven't done it in a long time, so I'm not going to do it on the podcast. But like, I had a spot on Stitch impression as a kid. It was really good. But anyways, I feel like, um, you know what other Disney movie, though? It was the Johnny Tsunami Okay. That one taught me more about Hawaii because they talked more about like losing the culture and like yeah. all yeah. of that kind of stuff. So I feel like in my head, I've always been very aware of, you know, the fact that it was the last state to be added to the United States yeah. and that they've always been something very like special and different that I've seen white people try to change for years and years, especially with, you know, resorts. Or try to appropriate. Yeah, exactly. Or appropriate. Like, it's just, it's become more of like, I feel like a vacation destination and less about the authenticity of a incredibly rich culture that goes back. Right. I mean, since before Jesus, (laughs) you know, I think that that's kind of a thing that, I mean, it's definitely a major problem and we can talk about it a little bit at the end of this episode that, so many people, I think, view Hawaii as a theme park. Yeah. Like, they kind of view it as a theme park, and it actually has had some really devastating, detrimental effects on the culture and the people who live in Hawaii. Have you ever been to Hawaii? I haven't, but it's a place that I've always really wanted to go. I mean, listen, I've been... When people say it is the most beautiful place that you will ever go, it's very, very true. Now, I think that I would be far, far more um, aware about my consumption in Hawaii. Yeah. uh, Because I do think that that is just such a big issue. It's. I think it's important that if you're going to go to Hawaii or any other country, I feel like it's always really important to give back to whatever country you're visiting. So like going to more local things and making sure that you are like supporting things like that and not just spending money at like the resorts and right. things like and, that. And just being very aware of your consumption. Cause I read something and I don't think that I, I wrote down the quote. And again, this is something that we will cover more in depth at the end of the episode. Um, but the mentality that you are on vacation, everybody has a certain kind of vacation mentality, right? And oftentimes quite necessarily because we all work ourselves to death when we're on vacation we don't want to think about anything that's difficult right uh we don't want to trouble ourselves with anything really except our comfort yeah um but the problem is when you're a place like hawaii which thrives on that kind of tourist culture and people are going there that vacation culture yeah what it means is that they are not being conscientious about how their consumption is affecting the people who live there truly um so it it is just something to keep in mind but where should we get started i wanted to start with how hawaii actually came to be because i found this very interesting and i actually covered hawaii in school a lot was it like a state did you do like a state report and covered hawaii no i mean we had a whole thing i can find pictures actually it's probably deeply offensive now that i think about it um (laughs) But we had a whole thing at my school. I went to a math and science school. So we covered... You went to a math and science school? I, I know. Fun fact about 11 me. 11 years of friendship and I'm just learning this now. Math and science? Yeah, my elementary school... Are you good at those things? No. Oh, okay. I was going to say, who are you? <laughs> I'm kind of good at science. I'm not good at math at okay, all. Okay, okay. Uh, but I 
I went to a math and science magnet school. Okay. I got in because my brother is really good at math and science. And at the time they had a policy that if, the siblings can just kind yeah, of join. That yeah, the yeah. siblings can just kind of go. So it was a better education than most other like public schools. Right. Um, you lucked out. I did. I lucked out. Yeah. I mean, how much worse would I have been at math if I didn't go to that <laughs> school? Probably, I'd probably not be able to do anything. Christian's the really smart one, right? Yeah. Thanks, Christian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we did a whole thing where we covered, we had a whole like, not a semester, but we had like a good chunk of time where we like covered a lot of um, stuff about Hawaii. I made like an entire kind of like science project about Hawaii. We went to an event where we all sang, I think we sang Aloha Oi. We had like tie-dye shirts and lays which yeah well <laughs> honestly I have a very similar we did the same kind of thing for a school performance just in our gym but I was the only person that knew how to do any of the dance just because I just think I was not afraid of the spotlight and no one else wanted to do it it's the most awkward video ever because my whole class is singing some Hawaiian song behind me and I alone am hula-ing yeah. in front of the entire class singing and it is so cringy and probably pretty culturally inappropriate. Yeah, I, I will say the 90s were a real cringe time for being culturally inappropriate about Hawaii. Like, that's just the truth. Or just being culturally inappropriate about anything. The only people that went as like Bob Marley for Halloween oh. and stuff, like with the dread Ooh, uh, wig hat thing. I mean, yeah. it was a time. It was a rough, it was a rough time. Uh, but I do want to talk about how Hawaii came to be. Right. So... We're going to get a little sciency right now. Okay. The Earth's outer crust is made up of a series of tectonic plates that move over the surface of the planet, right? In areas where the plates come together, the ocean floor may crack open and volcanoes will form under the surface of, of the ocean. This is all stuff I feel like we covered in my math and science school. Um <laughs> and when the volcanoes form, they create what's called a hot spot. And this is when molten lava or magma rises up from the volcanoes underneath the surface. About 40 million years ago, this is what happened in the middle of the Pacific plate. The plate moved over a hot spot, and as the lava hit the ocean water, it cooled, eventually making mountains in the ocean. As the mountains grew taller, a chain of islands were formed. That so is literally the coolest thing yes. Isn't it? ever. I know. I, think that I wanted to cover that because I was like, that's so interesting I just wish and like sorry to keep talking about like myself when I was in school I wish things were explained to me the way you just explained it to me when I was younger because what you just said I'm picturing the whole thing it's very fascinating I feel like if I had heard that when I was eight years old from a teacher it would have been in one ear and out the other but that is so fascinating like it's kind of like reverse Atlantis Yes, yeah, where there was nothing before under the it literally came out sprouted from underneath the, the mixture ocean. of like the hot and the cold is creating this yes. land somehow and now that it's all suddenly has created this huge plot of land for people to live on and create right. civilization. And it's all covered That's in green and nuts. it's beautiful. I know. So then three uh so then 2000 years ago Polynesians from the Marcus Marquesas islands about 2,000 miles away, which this was also wild to me, traveled by canoe. So 2,000 miles traveled by canoe. And On the settled. Pacific Ocean? Mm -hmm. Oh, God. I think the Pacific, yeah. And settled on Hawaii's big island, developing communities of fishermen and very skilled farmers. Right. So the people of Hawaii had their own distinct 
language, culture, and national identity, and they stuck mainly to themselves, isolated from much of the rest of the world. So that's, yeah, that's I read why that I for about to. 500 years, they were pretty isolated from the rest of right. the world and really were this self-contained, very like farm heavy culture yeah and, and fishermen yeah and they like lived among like on the things that they create I mean right. I guess we all did at that point because it was so long ago but like they were very self-contained they weren't worried about the goings-on anywhere else I mean yeah I mean to a greater extent I think than most other places because right. they were an island and mm. kind of in the middle of nowhere they had less of an opportunity to go like travel like if you were in the United States you could go see what is in that land over there you would right. have to cross an ocean so they really didn't have a lot of outside influence and so the reason why I wanted to start with that is not only because it's very cool scientifically but also because I because it really stresses that this was a culture that I mean it had a very proud rich deep culture still that was does. untouched right yeah it still does but it it makes the setting up of this story all the more devastating because we see what happens with just a, a tiny touch of outside influence basically right exactly so I have it that European settlers had started to come to the islands in like the 1770s around there in the 1700s and American immigration began shortly after. They're like, the Europeans found some great land, us being the United States, we're going to get on that, right? Yeah. So in 1778, so the late 1700s, that was the first time that a European set foot on the Hawaiian Islands and it's Captain James Cook, who we did cover in school, wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in true colonizer fashion, he claimed to discover, even though, right. again, there's a rich history of people that's been who there over 500 years been there for a yeah. long time um, and named the islands after the Earl of Sandwich. So the Sandwich Islands. Right. And various the various communities eventually unified into one kingdom under King Kamehameha and unified, uh, you know, unified might be the wrong word because right. it was more like he conquered the other rulers. I was going to say, kind of like forced all of the islands to kind of be run under this one king. So this monarchy was kind of started. And then I also read that like, there was some sort of back and forth trying to figure out what this government was going to look like because they were given this certain monarchy and then that was overthrown and then it kind of came back as another like monarchy. But this king... Kamehameha was uh, continued to be king throughout all of that as well. But there was some upheaval as to whether or not what this government was going to look like. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very interesting because I think the Hawaiians are known even now to be this very like welcoming, warm people. Right. right. And throughout the 1700s and into the 1800s, Europeans and people from the United States started visiting Hawaii, mainly on expeditions, explore, uh, exploring the ocean and Hawaiians were friendly. Like yeah. they were very like welcoming to visitors. And one British explorer even gifted the Hawaiians a flag, the Hawaiian king, a British flag. And Hawaii adopted the British flag into their own flag. To this day, if you look at the Hawaiian flag, it has a Union Jack on it. Oh, on interesting. It yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. They, they were just so 
they were like great like we're welcome enjoy hang out here this is great it's kind of chill um but of course things couldn't stay chill no dealing with colonists yeah and i feel like another another big thing that i was reading about was like the new england missionaries that wanted to you know bring their religion to another part of the world as well continuing to talk about religion on this podcast but it's, it's another great motivator right like it's another reason for you know these people to go and spread the good word and spread it further yeah. to these places where it doesn't need to reach. Uh, yes, as somebody who previously was a missionary, let me tell you that is missionary gold. When I wish you like, could have like talked more about that because I've always thought that was the weirdest concept in the world to go to another place to be like, I'm better than you and I know how to run your like little village better than you do. So I'm going to build these things, but then I'm going to leave. It's a very... Instead um, of helping my own country and the people that live there. And it's all that it's a very... Uh, colonist mindset yeah if, if the listeners are interested before i leave and we want to cover missions we'll and just cover missions <laughs> uh, we can uh, because i very I, there was a period in my life where i wanted to be a missionary like it's okay I now make, i want to do the episode i want to hear all these stories i wanted to make missions my life so yeah. i completely understand um i understood well, it makes you feel good because you feel like you're doing a good thing not only do you feel like you're doing a good thing you feel like it is your your duty, duty. like it, it is it is your responsibility and that missionaries are held up to this like higher echelon of Christianity. Like I remember, and I won't get into it too much because it's not what this episode is about, but like I remember, and I can actually show you in my journals, we were, we were made to listen to, um, martyrs prayers. So like, like, uh, it was like Joan of Arc and like other martyrs and like the things that they would say about being happy to give up their life for Christ and like that was it was part of like that's what you want to do and that Joan of Arc story is bullshit by the way I know I I know her for a feminist fave someday except for she maybe not be she was kind of evil as well anyways let's get back on topic not the point but okay but (laughs) like you said um uh, King Kamehameha died in 1819 and the following year we saw the first Christian missionaries arrived to the islands and this would be a big thing and mostly these these missionaries came from the united states right. they didn't come as much from europe and instead of passing through as many of the europeans did a lot of the europeans were explorers who would stop and then they would leave the missionaries decided to stay yeah. so they made their homes there um they had descendants who lived there so kids and grandkids who were born in hawaii who were right. white white people of European descent, but the influx of Europeans and Americans uh, to the islands slowly began to devastate the native Hawaiian population with diseases. Hawaiians had numbered about 300,000 when Cook first arrived. Yeah. And by 1853, the native population was down to 70,000. I mean, this is a story that we've heard time and time again, right? This is something that happened with the Native Americans in the United States as well. You know, when the European explorers came to the U.S., we gave them syphilis. You know what I mean? There was all of these horrible diseases that they had never been exposed to before, so their immune systems weren't built up for that to happen. I mean, speaking of missionaries, it's why there's that very famous case. uh, I think his name was John Chu. He was like a teenage missionary or in his early 20s, and he because he's a missionary and he was like, God is telling me that I need to proselytize to these people who don't have any contact with the outside world. Right. This was in the two thousands and 
they were like, you are not legally allowed to go there because they, first of all, they've already basically, they've shown time and time again, they're not interested yeah. in being part of the outside world. And two, you are going to expose them to diseases that could decimate them because they have been so isolated exactly. for so long. Like you're, it's not a good, you're not doing them any favors. You're you not know? doing the help that you think you're going to be doing by going right. over there and talking to them. Yeah, so these the native Hawaiians were essentially dying off when the white people came because of all of these diseases. But at the same time, the white people were like, very impressed with their sugar plantations. Well, yeah, I mean, what do colonizers love besides Jesus? And it is very often... Um, sugar or booze? Ooh, uh, resources. Any yeah. natural resources. If that's like, we can get... You oil. Know, oil, diamonds, um, bananas, sugar. Pineapple. Pineapple. Uh, any of those things. And so, yes, I mean, this land was very rich. It was undeveloped. So they immediately went in, started, you know, grabby, grabby little raccoon paws. Right. Just snapping. Well, and the Hawaiians have been doing this for so long and they've been doing it so well that they were kind of like, we we want a piece of the pie too, a little bit, you know? So sugar, to me, kind of seems like what started this whole thing off. They were like, this is a resource that is incredibly wanted and valuable all over the world and this could potentially make us a lot of money yeah, and, and they saw they saw in, like an incentive through yeah, that yeah yeah absolutely and especially in the united states because they were able to export sugar tariff free from, right. from hawaii so it was very very valuable um and of course you know they're missionaries but they still want to make they still want to make their money. And so they were driven a lot by that. And then, of course, just because this is the colonialist mindset, they they were like, well, we can do your government better than you're yeah. doing your government. And so exactly. they started chipping away at native culture and governmental practices. And by the late 1800s, American colonialists controlled Hawaii's sugar-based economy, amassing a huge amount of Hawaii's wealth. So they right. easily outmatched native Hawaiians in terms of monetary wealth, like economic power. And part of this was the fault of the king at the time named David Kakakawa. I'm so sorry if I pronounced some of these names wrong. I've really done my best to write them phonetically. Uh, He was named king in 1874, and he signed a trade reciprocity treaty with the U.S. in 1885, making it possible for Hawaiian sugar to be sold to the U.S. market tariff-free. In 1887, the treaty was renewed, and suddenly hordes of white people (laughs) descended upon the Hawaiian islands, including white businessmen, landowners, and missionaries, like we were talking about, moving onto the island. And King David really promoted Hawaii's, you know, like culture and traditions, kind of like they are today, as almost like a way to lure in more people to be coming to the land. And it worked too well. Um, Suddenly, the land holding system changed and many aspects of the original culture was prohibited, including the teaching of Hawaiian language and performance of the native hula dance. So to me, it kind of sounds like King David was ready to welcome people with open arms and be like, the more the merrier, let's spread this around, we'll help you, you help us, that kind of thing. But then almost with his open arms, 
started to cause more and more trouble i think he was very welcoming and very trusting if i have it right i think that he is actually the one who put the union jack on the flag probably Um, it sounds like something he would do right yeah he (laughs) yeah i mean listen he he was like like i love white people (laughs) he seemed like a very nice man i'm sure but i think he was a little bit idealistic is what i take from him i I think think that he really wanted to help hawaii and he saw that you know they could make money by teaming up with the Americans and it ended up just really backfiring on Hawaii's culture. I agree. I do think though, you know, I think he was very much strong armed into giving up a lot of the power. So many of the missionaries descendants formed a fully armed all white militia called the Honolulu Rifles. Yeah. And it was in 1887 in order to counter any sort of native resistance, the militia demanded that the king, so uh, King Kalakua... I call him King David in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I always try to remember... That I'm just like, okay, you say every vowel. So it's like a Kalakua. So they demanded of him that he dismiss his cabinet right. and presented a list of demands to him, including that a new constitution must be written. Right. And, and they called this one the Bayonet Constitution well, because he was put under yeah, duress to sign it. It was called that later on <laughs> oh, because, okay. because of that. They didn't call it that, but because he was strong armed, I mean, because initially he tried to resist, but the militiamen, the militiamen took control of an Australian ship filled with guns and using these weapons threatened the king. Uh, he requested requested aid from the British, French, Portuguese, and Japanese. He was like, I want, he wanted to fight them, but all of them refused to step in, suggesting that he just comply. They were like, just comply to the demands. So less than a week later, a new constitution was drafted by a group of lawyers who were all members of the Hawaiian League, which was a group of white men who all explicitly wanted the end of the kingdom and to see its annexation to the United States. Exactly. And this is when we're going to start seeing more and more work for Hawaii to become a U.S. territory after this point as well. Right. Yeah. So the colonists were eager to topple Hawaii's government and seize control. Right. And with the death of Kalaakua, which happened in 1891, his sister, Queen Liliuakua, Liliakuani. I think it's Liliaukalani. Liliaukalani. Yes. Gosh, my mouth is like mushroom. Right I've now. also been calling her Queen Lily in my notes yeah. because writing the whole thing Liliaukalani. out every time is just a lot for these little hands. You yes. Know? Uh, so the, she was the first. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt no, no, you. Do no, you no, that she was the first and only queen of Hawaii. You know, I knew she. I, you know why I knew that she was the first, which I guess would mean that she would be the only. Yeah. Is because I used to read those. Did you ever read Dear America books? Are you kidding yes. me? Those were my favorite books growing up. I read all of them. And Do you remember the had, Irish immigrant one where they get scalped? I'm certain I read it. I have literally my mom has a bunch of them up in the uh, up in the attic of her house still. And then I also they had a princess series. Yes. And I, I loved those ones. And they had one for Lily Alquani. <gasps> so I just recognized like when I saw pictures of her, I was like, I've seen I've yes. seen her. I wonder if she's on money or if like I, why I was like wondering why that face is so she's recognizable. She's a huge to cultural me. figure for them even now. Well, she was a fucking badass. Yes, like she's she amazing. was really, really rad. So she became queen, and she believed that the root problem for Hawaii was foreign influence. So she was very much not of the same mind as as her brother, even though her brother did learn down yeah. the line. But she she did fiercely love her brother, and she she even said and defended him to the Hawaiian people when right. he signed that 
that constitution, she told them like he did this under duress. He would not have sold you out if yes. he didn't have to. Well, you and know? a lot of similar situations would end up happening with her as well. You know, there's only so much you can do when you are being overpowered, you know, yeah. but I think she is a total badass. I am a big fan. I started reading her Wikipedia page just because I was like, I want to know more about you. There's a great like little five minute TED talk type thing um, about this subject, but it focuses very strongly on um, on her. And I she is that. very, very cool. She's so cool. So shortly after she took the throne, she signed a new constitution to get rid of the bayonet constitution, which would restore her power and Hawaiian rights. So when the bayonet constitution was written, it really did strip King David of a lot of his uh, mm-hmm. abilities as king. Yeah. And like I mentioned, a lot of the rights for Native Hawaiians yeah. as far as like how they were able to express their culture with their language, their dance, so on and so forth. So she really did what she could to be able to bring that back. But there was, there's a lot of militia groups, a lot of them. And there was another group called the Committee of Safety, which was another group comprised of white businessmen and politicians. They countered the Queen's constitution. And of course, their interest was in sugar production and worried that the constitution would establish tariffs to return Capitalism. to Yeah, to, to return to sugar imports endangering their progress. So that was their main reason for why they were not cool with the Queen starting this new constitution. Right. There was also a group called the Missionary Party. So there's yeah. like several different groups. And though the sugar Sugar missionaries were powerful economically. All of these militia groups, um, the vast majority of which were white people who were born in Hawaii, yeah. um, though they were very powerful economically and had an arsenal of weapons at their disposal, they were still in the minority in terms of like, you know, the native Hawaiians outnumbered them. Right. And so overthrowing the government would have been difficult on their own. But luckily for them, in 1893, the American ambassador of Hawaii, John L. Stevens, helped coordinate the arrival of an American military ship and troops to arrive on the shores of the island of Oahu. Now of Oahu. So up until this point, even though it can feel very internal, external, because it's yeah. like natives versus white people. Yeah. <laughs> um, even though it feels like it's an internal versus external conflict, it really wasn't. The conflict was really very internal at this point. You're talking about white militiamen, mostly who were born in Hawaii. And right. And the people that, and even the natives of Hawaii, like they were, they were born in amongst these people. All right. right. You know what I mean? It's not like they had just come. This was already their way of life. They, you know, the native Hawaiians or the non-white people coexisted with the white people for a long period of time right. at this point. Yeah. I mean, and even though the, the, white Hawaiians, we'll call them, like right. the, the white people who were born in Hawaii, um, they were very loyal to their European ancestors and definitely had a colonialist mindset. Well, because I'm sure how they were raised and Absolutely. how the story was told yeah. to them. They would still call themselves Hawaiian because right. they were born there. Now, you know, obviously they weren't native Hawaiians. Um, but the second that that ship arrived from the United States to provide military backup to these white militiamen, it transitioned from being in internal conflict to a coup yeah and it was a military coup that was sponsored and backed by a foreign power which is a big no-no like even now it's like you don't you don't back another country like you don't do this kind of like insurgence to a sovereign nation in this way you know so it was Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
it wasn't playing by any sort of rules we definitely we weren't taught that yeah you know? exactly it's like well that and that's also like kind of smart because in a way like that is another element of surprise to be yeah. able to like get what you want because you're not doing it the way the game is supposed to be played. Yeah, I definitely don't think that Queen Lilia Kalani thought that this was going to happen. No, you know, I, I don't think that she expected that. This I definitely kind of don't force... think that the amount of military force that would be behind all of this. I think that the infighting, I'm sure she was prepared for. Oh, definitely. But yeah. the fact that this would become such a major conflict politically and economically I don't think that anyone could foresee that coming yeah I don't think that she figured that she was going to have to cede her country or yeah her nation right up to another country like I don't think yeah. that she foresaw that at all I mean essentially after this Hawaii was uh proclaimed the committee of safety as the provisional government of Hawaii right and it was set up under the name of a man named Sanford Dole. Very interesting. Might it, sound familiar. Is it Dole or Doyle? It's Dole. So in one article it was Doyle, so I kept writing Doyle everywhere unless I read it wrong. So no. I have Doyle in my notes. I apologize if I say Doyle, but it's, it's okay. Dole. It's like the Dole guy, it's right? It's the Dole guy. It's, yeah. Well, he's from that family, so that I might know, sound I familiar say, to you. Mm-hmm. I probably have like Dole pineapple juice in my fridge it's right now. It's his brother. Yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah, it's it's it was his brother that started the whole pineapple situation. I've got that in the end of my notes. We can talk about that then. But yeah, this fucking Dole guy came and was like, I'm going to be the governor because I say so. Right. And he was one of the people who pushed for the bayonet constitution. He'd right. been pushing for this for a long time to set himself up or someone else um, of European or American descent up to take over Hawaii. Definitely. So before we get into everything that happens from here on out, should we take a quick break? I mean, I guess we have to. I think probably. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. 
And we're back. All right. All right. So I also want to mention that it was during this time. So I had never heard of President Benjamin Harrison. Have you ever heard of President Benjamin Harrison? I thought we only had one Harrison. I thought that was William Henry Harrison. Well, this was the 23rd president of the United States. I had never heard of this man. (laughs) Flyover presidents. We don't remember them. Exactly. This guy was Benjamin Harrison. He was a real dick. Uh, He signed a treaty of annexation with the new government of Hawaii. So this was kind of the first time that we saw any sort of like government motion to head toward annexation. But luckily, after Benjamin Harrison my new boyfriend, President Grover Cleveland, came into office. Now, I don't know that much about him, but he comes off looking real good in this story for the most part. You know, I think we got our our notes from different places because I was still kind of like, no. Really? About about Mr. Grover. Okay, because what I read was that he had a very different mindset than past presidents had because he he disagreed with annexation he was anti-imperialist and he believed that americans had acted shamefully in hawaii i i would i would agree with that i mean i think that there was a lot everything that i read or or watched did say that there was a lot of back and forth as to what to do so it did go on i mean there's a reason why hawaii didn't become a state until the 50s right uh, even you know given when all of this stuff started yeah there's a reason why there was so much like back and forth uh, that happened but in it, Washington, D.C. It does seem that at least while Grover Cleveland was president, he was able to push aside a lot of those bills that were coming through and making sure they weren't reaching the Senate and things like that. Um, he also, when he discovered that the queen was overthrown illegally, he had the American flag removed from Hawaiian government buildings as well. Yes. So Which in that nice. case, uh, <laughs> it is nice. However, you know, the people of Hawaii were trying to protest this takeover peacefully. They have continued and we'll talk about it at the end of this episode that, their form of protest has always been incredibly peaceful. And yeah. it was even then. Um, they would wear hats that read Aloha Anai, uh, which meant love of the nation. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And sing- and signing petitions condemning what was happening. And oh, their petition signing was like almost iconic. Almost everyone signed, signed the petition. Yeah, you know? let me... I gotta, I'm going to say this really quick because I really thought this was amazing. So... They ran this massive petition drive leading 21,269 signatures from Native Hawaiians. So at the time, that was more than half of the 39,000 Natives and mixed blood persons reported by the Hawaii census that year. So it was like... It was huge. It was huge. The the way that they were able to organize and be very successful in their protests is really, really something to be astonished by, especially when you're going up against people that tend to choose violence first, you know? Yeah, I mean, they really did believe in the power of the people and the power of the people's love for their country. And they really believed that if the United States knew how much they didn't want this, that they would listen. And it's like, oh, you sweet, sweet, innocent children. I know. Um, So Sanford Dole traveled to the United States and petitioned the government saying that the U.S. should take Hawaii for themselves. But a group of Native Hawaiians traveled saying that they opposed the overthrow of the queen. And she also wrote a letter to the House of Representatives demanding that she be reinstated as rightful ruler. Yeah, she stating also, that I was taken away from my throne illegally. Right. Like, really making that a point to be like, this was not 
legal. Yes. Yeah. She hired a lawyer. <laughs> so she hired a lawyer to deliver a letter to Grover Cleveland. Right. So the Cleveland administration commissioned um, someone to investigate the overthrow. So he interviewed those involved in the coup and he wrote in what was called the Blount Report because his name was James Henderson Blount. He wrote that based on his findings, he concluded that the overthrow of the queen was illegal yeah. and that Stevens and American military troops had acted inappropriately in support of those who carried the overthrow. So that's when Grover yeah. Cleveland was like, yes, I believe that to be true, which is great. One point for him. Yes. However, on November 16th, Cleveland sent his minister, Albert S. Willis, to propose a return of the throne to uh, Queen Lily Awakalani if she granted amnesty to everyone responsible. So he was right. like, I will, you know, we'll put you, we'll reinstate you, but you have to grant amnesty to all these people who violently overthrew your, you know, <laughs> monarchy. He, he definitely seems like somebody that isn't willing to get his hands dirty because there was another time where he was unwilling to get involved because he didn't want to start a battle right. with something he in Hawaii. He wanted to be peaceful. He wanted right? to keep things peaceful when, while I think that that is a great thing and we should always fight for that, it, it, he comes off looking like a bit of a pushover. Right. Well, and the thing is, I, I actually completely understand if you can resolve a conflict peacefully, you should. You should. Right. So I agree with him on that. However, Queen Lily Aukalani, her response was that she's like, I'm the queen of Hawaii. They did this in Hawaii. Hawaiian law says that there it calls for property confiscation and the death penalty for treason. She's Fuck like, yeah, this is this is our law. They did this on our land and you shouldn't get to decide what I do with the people who threw a coup on my land. One hundred percent. So she was like, no. She said that only her cabinet uh, ministers could put aside the law in favor of amnesty. So she didn't even say, I I am going to administer the death penalty. She said, my cabinet members who were already in place, they get to decide right. what we do here, whether or not we administer the death penalty or not. But this is Hawaiian law. So uh, this didn't sit well with Grover Cleveland. He was like, mm, actually, I'm going to withdraw uh, You know, my support of putting you back on the throne. Right. And so eventually she was like, well, fine. I'll reverse my position regarding amnesty. But at that point... Grover Cleveland was like, no, the the, the offer is no longer on the table. So right. that's why I'm like, eh, about Grover Cleveland. <laughs> I'm like, look, I am all for peaceful resolution. Right. I think that that's the best way to go. However, it's her country. Yeah, yeah. Like you're going to come in and tell her, like, put stipulations on... Nobody does that to Queen Liliao Kalani. Yeah, it no was just really not... I'm, I don't know. Yeah, well, things definitely pushed further toward making Hawaii a U.S. territory when the Spanish-American War was looming because there was an argument that Hawaii would be strategically valuable as a mid-Pacific fueling station and naval installation, bringing up the subject of annexation once again. So the U.S. wanted to use Hawaii for their military operations during the war, and that made the area even more enticing to them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in 1895, I don't remember when the Spanish-American War was. I don't remember if it fell before or after this. But in 1895, there was a rebellion that took place because things had started to devolve even further. Like in 1894, the year before that, there was a provision that put in place saying that Native Hawaiians couldn't vote or hold government right. office without signing an oath of allegiance. And a lot of Native Hawaiians weren't willing to do that. So yeah. they just got pushed out of all of these jobs. 
And so things were getting really out of hand. And in 1895, there was a rebellion that took place in an attempt to restore Queen Liliaokalani to power. Yeah. Uh, there was hundreds of people. They were like, we're going to take we're going to take this back, basically. It was a failure, and it did ultimately lead to the arrest of hundreds of the participants and other sympathizers of the monarchy, and Lily Aukalani was also arrested and imprisoned in an upstairs bedroom at the palace. So the yeah. palace um, had also been kind of taken over and was now being used as a government building. This was the home of the monarchy. Right. Um so she was being imprisoned in an upstairs bedroom at the palace. It is very like Disney princess of them to do that. Right. So they found firearms in her home and imprisoned her. During her imprisonment, I love her. During know, her imprisonment, her she composed songs expressing her love for her people, one of which was Aloha Oi, which I said, you know, Ugh. we learned in elementary school. Yeah. Which is called Farewell to Thee. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful song. It is a gorgeous song. And began making a patchwork quilt that told the story of her life. Though she was not allowed news of the outside world, her supporters often brought her flowers carefully wrapped in newspapers so she could stay aware of what was going on outside. So, so they smart. Present her flowers and inside there would be newspapers wrapped around the flowers so that she could, you know. I love that. Yes. But during her imprisonment, she actually ended up abdicating the throne in return uh, for the release and the commutation of the death sentences of the people who had rebelled for her. So all these Which people... Which makes sense. He, she wanted to save the people's lives that were trying to help her. I yes. think that that is the most queenly thing to do to look out for your people rather than your own power. Yeah, I mean, and in uh, she so she signed the document of abdication and then she wrote, quote, for myself, I would have chosen death rather than to have signed it. But it was represented to me that by my signing this paper, all of the persons who had been arrested, all my people now in trouble by reason of their love and loyalty towards me would be immediately released. Think of my position, sick, alone, woman in prison scarcely knowing who was my friend or who listened to my words only to betray me without legal advice or friendly counsel and the stream of blood ready to flow unless I stayed my pen <sighs> so she's like I had to sign this letter of abdication because if I didn't I was afraid that for more violence and for everybody I loved and who was on my exactly. side to be murdered and though that would be an incredibly difficult decision she's doing exactly what a leader should do and that is to take into the minds of the people that she is supposed to be caring for yeah ahead of your own power and your own job title essentially yeah and it should be said that there was a lot of men so grover cleveland did kind of stay things moving further yeah um but then after that the next president um and his cabinet of which included Theodore Roosevelt, uh, were like, no, actually, we want to grab that land, grab that land for ourselves. Yeah, good old William McKinley was just ready and waiting as soon as he took office in March of 1897. He was pro-annexation and moved fast to claim Hawaii now that Cleveland was gone. He's like... Mom's away. Let's mm -hmm. go out to play. Yeah. And as soon as they landed on shore, they went right back up to the palace and put the American flag right back up there. Yep. <laughs> and it was now um, officially a possession of the United States. We had successfully stolen their land. I almost feel like annexation is too... It's too of nice word. of a word. Yeah. The stealing of Hawaii. Yes. Yeah, so now it was... 
officially the U.S. territory of Hawaii after this. Yeah, and it was not long before the United States started. I mean, basically, the United States had already been, but really in full throttle, started dismantling their way of life. Um, The Hawaiian language was officially banned uh, and all government work or business work was required by law to be conducted in English. So Mm -hmm. if you were at... Um, a government job or, you know, just basically working almost anywhere that had any oversight. Right. You had to speak English. Of course, it had been limited in schools up until now. It was officially fully banned in any kind of like public school capacity. Yeah. The U.S. also began developing land on sites sacred to the native Hawaiians and the history that was being taught in schools made it appear as though the native Hawaiians were happy to welcome the United States in without a fight. Well, right. I think that that's very similar as when we talk about you know the Native Americans in the mainland it's like look at how we helped them oh, we yeah. taught them these things they They're taught so lucky us to these have things us. right exactly yeah. it was it was this mutual loving kind of thing <laughs> you right, know right and as time went on it became harder and harder to know what the truth was because much of the real history was documented in the Hawaiian language and it became more and more inaccessible (laughs) as time went on. So the only history that even native Hawaiians or people of native Hawaiian was the English history was English history. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the other thing that really sucks is that in the U S the Hawaii had very little power anywhere in the U S government. They had one non-voting representative in the house and that was all. And so from my understanding in the reading that there were a lot of Hawaiians at this point that almost preferred statehood because they believed that that would help them gain the same rights yes. and the same voting power as the mainland, as the rest yeah. of the 48 states yes. at the time. I, I see that argument a lot because at this point, Hawaii is a territory, not a um, not a state. And It seems like a very in-between sort of uh, purgatory type situation. Yeah, it's because, like Puerto Rico now. Yeah, like mm-hmm. they don't have autonomy to run their own government, but they don't have the power to make any decisions for their government at the same time. Yeah, so... There's a lot of people who will argue, well, the Hawaiian people voted to become a state. They wanted to become a state. I know that that's very much how it was framed to me. And it's like, okay, but they wanted to under these specific circumstances that they didn't ask to be in. Like they didn't want to be in these circumstances. Yeah, exactly. It's not like they suddenly changed their mind and were like, no, we really want to be a state now. Please, please, please make it official. It wasn't. It was just because they were realizing the fact that like this territory status is worse. It's worse for us. We're not getting anything that we want. Yeah. And so the only way at that point to make it better was to fight to be part of the 50 or 48 states at the time. They looked at the options and they said, well, in our current position, this is the best move. Like it wasn't, I don't think something that they were like, oh, super stoked that the United States came here and and stole our land and culture. (laughs) But they couldn't even elect their own governor or judges. That was all decided for them. And I can imagine that that would be incredibly frustrating, especially now, you know, seeing how the other states are run and handled. It's like, well, we want to have a say in who's going to be running our state as well and not just have you appoint somebody. Right, absolutely. Especially since Hawaii's culture, I mean, once surfer culture started really kicking in in the 60s, you saw a lot more... um, talk about like Hawaii and and Hawaiian tourism but even previous to this like in like the 30s and 40s there was still a lot of tourism to Hawaii so they're very much being closely um 
they're being able to see all of this stuff very much firsthand of like the American experience. Yeah, and it's what like they're like. almost living the American experience, but they're not at the same time. Yeah. And I can understand why it would be enticing at, for them to just want to be be a part of what everyone else is getting at that point. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand it as I'm well. I'm sure they would rather have, you know what I mean? But at the, also at this point, the people who are living in Hawaii do not remember before either. You know what yes. I mean? This has been happening for so long that I can understand that this next generation of Hawaiians would want that. Right. And again, they've been, there's a certain amount of, I don't want to say, I don't want to diminish anything by saying brainwashing, but it is a re-education. That's really what it was. Well, over a very long period of time too. And that is a generational reteaching of history and reach and, and taking away of culture so that by the time these people are being born, you know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they don't have the same experiences as their ancestors. do and they have a different perspective about what is needed for their land to go forward all of that to say that in 1959 hawaii did become america's 50th state um as for queen liliao kalani she spent the rest of her life petitioning for the restoration of her lands native hawaiian rights and national liberation until her death in 1917 yeah meanwhile it should be said the dole family's (laughs) empire grew and prospered into one of the most recognizable global corporations of all time yeah so james dole i almost said doyle again like i mentioned he was the cousin of sanford and he established and dominated the pineapple industry pineapple pineapple production went from 2000 cases in 1903 to 12,808,000 cases in 1931 all thanks to james dole yeah and i want to say that they also had a hand in like Dole is also a big producer of bananas. Yeah. Um, and I want to say that they had a hand in the Banana Republic, which is a whole other historical thing that we don't need, don't need to get Not into right now. Not the clothing line, right? No. Um, <laughs> like, really? Like, the Banana Republic was an actual, like, political thing that happened to do with p- banana production and Makes colonialism sense to me. In, an, in another place. And I do think that Dole had hands in that as well, uh, which is, man, what a bummer because... I've definitely, like I said, I probably have a Dole product in this house right now. Who doesn't love Dole Whip at Disneyland? Yeah, I mean, and they have like, I think there's also lots of canned vegetables. Like, I think you can get like Dole green beans. Like, you can get Dole like fruit in the little cups. Cups, cups and stuff. Actually, we probably have those in the fridge. You know, so man, I haven't had a fruit cup in a minute. Me neither. But Anthony really likes them. So is it like the one with like the the peaches in the juice little mix, and you like pull the top off? Yeah. Oh, I used to always drain the juice first and then I I was obsessed with those as a kid what a time thanks Um, but no thanks Dole but yeah I mean so you can see what happened here it's like you see what happened to Queen Liliao Kalani in juxtaposition with what happened with the Dole family where they became these really it's like a billion dollar industry or more yeah Um, yeah definitely and you were mentioning this earlier about how more and more sacred land was being taken over and bought yeah. by white land o- owners and things like that. Well, obviously that continued to happen once, you know, statehood was acquired by yes. Hawaii. And 
Eventually, Hawaiians demanded the U.S. government to set aside land for them to return to their customary farming lifestyle. And in 1921, the government provided land with the Hawaiian Home Program, but it was poorly managed and only benefited a small number of Hawaiians. And that was the only time that there was ever any sort of effort to be able to give them some of their land back. Uh, although they did get an apology okay. from Mr. Bill Clinton, quote unquote apology. This has the contents of this have been incredibly criticized. The wording of this has been very criticized, but this is what it is. Um, on November 23rd, 1993, a joint apology resolution was signed by President Clinton. This resolution apologized, quote, to Native Hawaiians on behalf of the people of the United States for the overthrow of the Kingdom of Hawaii on January 17th, 1893, and the deprivation of the rights of Native Hawaiians to self-determination. I mean... Thanks for know. the apology. There's always this thing for me that I'm like, I am glad that an apology was issued because I do think that those things on a very public scale are important. Right. Um, however, it does just end up feeling like, okay, empty words. Damage has been done yeah. for like a, a long time now. You and, know? I, and I almost think that that's part of the problem. I feel like it's been so long that these people's requests have been ignored that it probably would be pretty difficult to at this point try to regain some of that cultured lifestyle right. back by the time 1993 rolled around. Yeah, I mean and to the credit of the native Hawaiians there were people who had resistance native resistance from the beginning right. and did not ever give up their culture or the knowledge of their culture and made sure to maintain that. Um, and now in Hawaii, there are schools that do full immersion in ho the Hawaiian language. Good. Um, because they were able to preserve that. Well, those are things that I think can be done. Like if, if we, if the U S government is not able to per, like give you your land back or give you your jobs back, the fact that the people were able to take it into their own hands and say, it's our responsibility to bring this culture back to our people. I think that that is just as powerful in its own right. Right. I mean, I absolutely agree. And they have definitely been able to hold on to a lot of cultural practices. Um, and you can, and it's so beautiful to see, you know, the hula, the language, there's so much of it that they have been able to hold on to. But I think another reason why that apology rings so false is because the United States does continue to exploit the land and culture of the Hawaiian people. Yeah. Um, they do continue to protest those who attempt to develop on their sacred land, which is not stopped. In 2020, Native Hawaiians gathered to protest the construction of a large new telescope on Mauna Kea, which is considered sacred ground. That same year, they fought the construction of wind turbines wind turbines in Oahu that protesters said would have adverse long-term health effects. More than 160 people were arrested at that protest. Ugh. Though tourism is a big part of Hawaii's economy, many of the locals barely make enough to get by. Those who work in tourism especially say that they often work more than one job and barely make ends meet while the resorts are often run by non-Hawaiians. Yeah. Um, this is a big thing and I didn't dig deep into this, but I know I've talked about this many times, very just surface level, that um, Disney is a huge perpetrator of this. And right. like they release films like Moana, which are beautiful and definitely speak to the Hawaiian culture in a real way, which is lovely to see. And I'm glad that they're exposing that culture to young audiences. Right. However, 
they are actively, their resorts in Hawaii are actively devastating the landscape there. Um, and, and it's almost like another like public promotion to go to Hawaii thing. and things yes. like that. Remember yeah. like when Finding Dory came out, those like blue fish, like everyone was buying them out and like not treating them well and not like realizing that like you actually have to like there's fish, work to be put into this type fish of fish requires and things so like that. much work they really do like fish requires so much work and remember mabel i do that's how i know <laughs> my fish mabel um it was so hard but but truly like it, there's a lot to be said about that that like yeah. the tourism industry in Hawaii is a huge industry um, and it is what keeps their economy going. Right. So However, they need it so they in a big way. In a big way. However, we're not compensating the workers well. No. Uh, so unfortunately, there's a big poverty problem for native Hawaiians right. in Hawaii because it is in, in large part because of tourism, the most expensive state to live in. Right. Um, not only because of tourism, but also because of the cost of shipping things in and out from Hawaii because right. it is further away it's than very isolated. continental United States. You can't just drive things there. So if you want to visit Hawaii, do so in a way that causes less harm. There is something called um, Detours, which is a decolonial guide to Hawaii. Uh, so it is they are tours that are given to groups of people who want to learn about Hawaii from the perspective of a local Hawaiians. I love that. Which is something that I would be far more interested in doing um, if I were to go back to Hawaii. Yeah. They include deep history on the ways military life is hidden across the land. When mm. I went to Hawaii last time, I went actually on a ROTC. I've lived many lives. Um, I have. <laughs> I went on an ROTC trip and I actually stayed on a marine base that's so, so cool i mean it's cool but it is also true that it's like there's it's so sad much at the same time american but. military presence all yeah. over hawaii um so the typical uh the typical tour guests do get to see the iolani palace which is the palace that the um hawaiian royal family lived in that then got turned into basically a government building right and then they are also taken through Chinatown and some of the old neighborhoods where new immigrants to Hawaii would traditionally settle and things like that. Right. So it is just a less commercialized, less touristy way of viewing Hawaii. So it might be something to look into if you are considering going to Hawaii because I do, it's such a beautiful place, but I do urge you if you are going to contribute to the tourist population in Hawaii to do so very, very mindfully. (laughs) I mean, I think that that, should go for when you're visiting any other country. I yes. think that you you should have a responsibility to do things as ethically as possible in your life, and that includes your vacationing. Not that you want to be thinking about that when you're on vacation, but maybe think about it before you leave on your vacation yeah. and set up your itinerary in a yes. certain way. Um, I'm very appreciative that my parents were pretty good at that for the most part. Like if we went to Mexico a lot, they would take us to the ruins and things like that and not just stay inside our little like all-inclusive resort the whole time. And I just think that if you're going to travel, part of that is the education that you get along with it. So I think that any of those resources are always the way to go when traveling in general. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, this was quite an education for me and definitely piqued my interest on a lot more people and subjects as well, which I'm always appreciative of. Yeah. Uh, New obsessions are always my favorite. And I will say this was such a big topic. Uh, 
there's definitely stuff we missed or didn't cover there's, or could have covered more in depth. Like, yeah, there are so many specific uh, things that went on back and forth during those many, and so many, many years. so many people and it, it was a lot. It, and so we, we covered the highlights. I hope we did an okay job. <laughs> People, if we have listeners from Hawaii, please write in. I would love, do we have a Hawaiian listeners? I'm sure. That would be really cool. If we missed anything, if you want to add anything, if you have your own personal stories that you want to add, anything like that, we would really, really love to hear it. So if you have any topic ideas for the future, if you want to write into us, you can email us at neighborhoodfeminist@gmail.com at gmail.com or DM us on our Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. If you want to check out our merch, there is a link in the show notes. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with your fellow listeners on the group page. And last but certainly not least, if you haven't done so already, please hop on over to your Apple Podcast app, leave us a five-star review and a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. It means so much to us. All right. So I'll be happy today. With all of that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. She did it. I got it this time. Hi, my name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And together we run Buffering, a rewatch adventure a family of podcasts moving through our favorite 90s genre television. If you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, well, great news for you. Our very first podcast adventure took us through all seven seasons of the series. We covered it spoiler-free, episode by episode. For those of you who want to start the show for the first time, you can find that podcast pretty easily. It's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Inside that podcast, you'll also find an original song that pairs with each glorious episode of Buffy, and original character jingles for so many of our Buffy favorites. Buffering has been praised in places like Time, Esquire, Paste Magazine, and the New York Times, and we've chatted with dozens of cast members, writers, directors, and fans along the way. Come hang out and rewatch some of your favorite television with us and a wonderful community of listeners. Learn more at BufferingCast.com or find us on socials at BufferingCast.